Hey, welcome back to another episode of Business of Film, uh, episode number 53. My name is Jesse Eichmann, and you're listening to a crafttruck.com podcast. All right, so today I've got something special here for you. We've got guest DJ Carson on with us. Uh, DJ is a production manager, unit production manager here in Toronto. He does some of the biggest shows that come to down, come to town. Uh, recently, he's worked on the last two Guillermo del Toro movies, uh, Crimson Peak, uh, which just finished shooting, and of course, uh, Pacific Rim before that. Uh, he also just finished up Spotlight, which is the new Thomas McCarthy movie, which is coming out in 2015, I believe. And before that, worked on such shows as Casino Jack, The Incredible Hulk, uh, Diary of the Dead, 16 Blocks. Uh, if you want to go way back, we can talk Bulletproof Monk and Tuxedo. Uh, so he's worked on some really big stuff, and he's also worked uh, in that list that I just mentioned on some more moderately budgeted stuff. So uh, what we have or uh, in this conversation, certainly, and what I thought was a really interesting opportunity for us to dive into on the show was that contrast between doing the $100 million movie and the $5 million movie and some of the challenges uh, that go with each of those types of projects and just, you know, kind of what it, what it takes to be a production manager uh, on these uh, on you know on these types of films, uh, big and small, and uh, the knowledge uh, that comes with that. So uh, I was excited to have him on the show, and uh, I want to thank DJ uh, for taking some of his time out of his schedule to to hop on with us. Now, if you're listening to this on your iPhone, uh, please do the show a favor. Um, it would be super helpful if you could just uh, throw down a review for us on iTunes. Uh, just put down some stars, throw down some words. Uh, it really helps. Uh, I, I really love that. The show definitely appreciates that. Uh, the, the show, the show appreciates that. Uh, <laughs> and, and it helps a lot. So please do that. Do it now. Just, just before you even listen to this episode, just, just push pause, push pause. I'll wait. I'm waiting. All right. So hope you, hopefully you're back to the show now and you've thrown down a review. Anyways, thank you for doing that. Uh, all right, uh, onward. Here we are with DJ Carson, episode number 53. So, uh, first of all, thank you so much for, for taking the time to come on the show. Uh, I, I think it's uh, this is actually uh, an interview that I've been looking forward to having, mostly because, obviously, we've had the opportunity to work together now on, on a couple shows, and uh, I just think there's so much information that we can dive into. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to get right into it. Uh, Great. Tell, tell me, how did you get started in the business? Where, what, what was your inkling? Why did you want to get into the, 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 the I guess, the film business? Well, I, start, I did go to York University for the uh, film program there. That was kind of my introduction. Uh, I guess in high school, uh, had been more of a computer person and stuff like that, but had always been fascinated by telling stories. And I think uh, that's what led me to going to York University for film. And then right out of school, I volunteered as an assistant editor, because uh, it was certainly one of the great ways in the film school is a skill that I had learned, which was really how to sing dailies. So having that skill, I was able to go out and get on a small independent film called uh, Fishtail Soup that was through uh, the NFB, actually. And I worked on that through the summer, and that just kind of got me some connections. And one of the things I started doing was reading scripts for a company called North Star Entertainment. So that really let me kind of grow with my knowledge of storytelling and wanting to know storytelling and reading a lot of scripts. And eventually, by being a reader for them, I got offered a job to actually be a development assistant 
to uh, Carrie Pabst, who was the development person there. And so that just led to even more reading of scripts, more stories, and eventually dealing with writers. I did a little bit of junior story editing. And then I got a really great offer to go and work for a line producer in Toronto by the name of David Coatsworth. So I jumped at that because that gave me a bit of a chance to kind of do a little bit more production because even though I was quite happy in the development world, reading scripts and dealing with the writing and all that, I kind of wanted to be involved in the actual movie-making process so, rather so, than being in the corporate process. So, so you knew kind of right off. I mean, what, what was that moment for you when you kind of said, you know what, I want to, I want to get into the actual physical side of production. Was there anything specific that you can recall where you were like, you know, this, this is what, well, I think I remember being on the set. uh, There there was a movie called men with guns that, uh, North star was producing. And I remember going to the set and being at the production meeting and just seeing all the people that were involved. And it just seemed like, man, it would be really amazing to be running this, running this thing, being, uh, being somebody who was actually working directly with a director to help them make their story. And um, I quickly realized that the line producer and the production side, that was kind of the people who really did that, um, you know, on, uh, you know, in the grassroots or on the, on the ground level. I mean, obviously, Produce, there's many different types of producers out there, and there's the creative producers and the producers that get financing, but the line producers and the production manager type people are the people who are really working day-to-day with the director and with all the other department heads to kind of make this script turn into something more than just words on a paper. Now, you, you've done, uh, without mincing words now, some, some pretty massive studio movies. Did you ever think to yourself when you got started that you would be doing the kinds of studio movies that you, you, you're now doing, or was that just some faraway thought or, or was it a goal that you all always had? Well, look, I, you know, growing up as a kid, I mean, obviously I was a child of the seventies, early eighties. So star Wars was the, for me, the greatest movies, <laughs> you know, that I had ever seen. So it always been my dream to work on star Wars type movies, or even in film school, I used to joke with some of my classmates that I want to make movies that, that make action figures. So that had always been a dream. I did, even when I sort of started doing what I was doing, I didn't know if it would ever come to fruition just because those scale of movies weren't necessarily the type of scale of movies that came to Toronto. And would I ever really go to Hollywood and where it seemed those movies generated and created from, I, you know, it was obviously more of a dream than thinking that it was something that could happen. But I've been really fortunate and you know, in the course of the last ten years, that some of these tentpole movies are starting to uh, gravitate to Toronto, and I've been lucky enough to be on a couple of them. So, do, do uh, you remember the, the the time when you kind of moved from? I I, I want to say lower budget movies, but even in the lower budget movie, we're probably still talking that that five million dollar, ten million dollar range. But I'm, I'm gonna when I say lower budget movies in the context of a studio movie, that's what I'm referring to. So when you do do you remember the time when you were doing these lower budget five to ten million dollar movies? Let's let's say, and then you jumped to you know fifty million dollar plus or whatever the that the, the yeah, I think was. I, I mean, the one thing that's different about kind of my career and how it's emerged is, and I've tried really hard to not only do one type of movie in terms of the budget scale. I'm pretty proud of the fact that I've worked on a movie that was $2 million and also a movie that was, you know, well north of $100 million. And they are definitely two different types of, of projects. There's no doubt about it. Although at the end of the day, 
really, it doesn't really matter how much money you have. You never really have enough money. You just have greater expectations. So, but there is a bit of a different style in managing the bigger movies because you, well, there's definitely more politics involved and because there's more money, certain expectations of being able to deliver certain aspects of a script are, are definitely greater. And on a lower movie where you don't have as much money, the word no isn't quite so verboten. The more money you have, the more it's not really about no. It's about, well, how do we get this done for the money that we have? And in terms of that transition, I, I guess I haven't, it's not like I've really sort of left the roots of, of lower budget stuff. I mean, there was a period there certainly when, and I was very fortunate that when the dollar spiked and the SAG strike was on and all of the incentives really ramped up in the States. Really, there wasn't a lot of service production coming up to Toronto. I'm sort of talking 2008 through to about 2010, really. And I was lucky enough, I got to work with a great um, Canadian producer, uh, Susan Cabin, on several projects, who, and she really helped develop my career in, in terms of managing and, and, and knowing that what you can get at, get out of the money that you have. Uh, and I think that's, and I even try to bring that onto the movies when I have, you know, more resources available. So what was that first movie that you would consider was your entrance into studio land? Well, certainly one of the first movies I did was a movie called Bulletproof Monk. That was definitely studio, which was right after doing, uh, um, uh, tuxedo. Those were definitely big studio movies and then after that, I was, you know, I, I kind of started doing a lot of independent stuff. And but the biggest tentpole movie that sort of kind of saw me on that when I jumped into it was I did The Incredible Hulk in 2007. So that was kind of like the biggest movie I had done in the first half of my career, although I had been lucky enough to, like, do a couple of movies in Thailand. And, uh, you know, I did work for an independent um company that uh, was Morgan Creek, who did a, a Robin Williams film called Man of the Year. So, you know, it was very varied. And at that time, I mean, the landscape for service production in Toronto has definitely changed. Like there was a time when, when the dollar was down around 60, 65 cents on the dollar. Toronto got a lot of, you know, 40 million, 50 million, or even $25 million movies because to make those in the States, you know, they would be 15, 20 million dollars more. So there was a lot of what I would call that mid-range filmmaking uh, in terms of a budget scale happening. And just as the way the economies have changed over the years, that size of movie has started to almost disappear in general, really. And you're finding that it's either, either you don't have any money or you have a lot of money. So, so I, I just want to get back to kind of that, that first experience, though, sure. just when, when you were working on, I guess, be it either the tuxedo or uh, the Incredible Hulk. I guess that 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 moment when you were when you were moving up in in, in scale, Do, were you nervous when when you first were presented with a budget of? And I I, I don't know how, how big those budgets were. I'm sure they're, they're public record now, but whatever they were, forty, fifty, sixty million dollars plus. Um, when you were sitting at that desk and you were you know presented with the opportunity. How did that affect you in terms of, you know, like, were you thinking this would be no problem, you, you could do it? Uh, just what was going through your mind on those jobs? Well, certainly the first time you get that opportunity to production manager, maybe, and you're, you're in charge of a lot of money, you realize it's not your money. So, so there is a lot of pressure to make sure that you, you have control of it. And 
you have to learn very quickly about estimating and also knowing if, if your gut, you have to develop, uh, I think the successful production managers and, and certainly line producers are people who have a gut instinct for when something isn't working financially or if something is gonna is, is costing more than it should because uh, filmmaking works at such a fast pace sometimes you have to approve stuff without really knowing the extent of what the cost is going to be so that's why you have to have a you have to almost have a sixth sense for like oh if we approve this the number sounds like it could be five dollars but it could very easily get to eight so if I'm not prepared to know that it's going to cost eight, we almost have to kind of say no to it, or we have to figure out a way to dampen the expectations so that if it goes off the rails, it's only going to be six dollars. If you know, as, as a quick analogy. Um, but yeah, I mean, being given all that stuff, it, it is slightly overwhelming. Although again, that's why you get, you know I was very lucky, and I think that that's what's important when you get these breaks. You hope that you're working for producers or bosses who are very collaborative in the process. Um, I mean, I was trained by a line producer by the name of David Coatsworth, and he is, uh, you know, without a, one of those great overseer managers, big picture guys. When I did Bulletproof Monk, it was with uh, a gentleman by the name of Brent O'Connor, who, again, uh, very seasoned PM, and kind of, they can kind of help you through the process. I think it would have been scarier if it had been, you know, if I when I was jumping up and taking these other jobs, if it had been with producers who I had absolutely no uh, experience with whatsoever, and I think that's why it's always beneficial when you're starting out your career. You just have to, you know, somebody once told me it's it's you know, when you're starting out and you're kind of making that leap, you almost have to just take the jobs as they come, do the jobs, develop the relationships, and and get the experiences. And you're going to make mistakes, or there's going to be some departments or there's going to be costs that kind of may get away from you and you have to just develop that discipline to watch the areas that it's pretty obvious could could be financially troubling well, i mean when yes. you read that script you should know uh, that's actually kind of my next kind of line of 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 you know thought here which is do, do you feel the project scale when you do you know there's there's an old saying it takes two people to move a table but when you're doing you know, a small independent project, you know, maybe you need two people to move a table. When you're doing a large studio movie, well, you might need 40 people to move a table. How do you, where do you start in your thinking process when you're doing such large budget of projects? You know, where do you start in figuring out, okay, how many grips do you need? How many electrics do you need? How many, you know, got, you know, manpower do you need to, to accomplish that? Just kind of walk me through a little bit of your process of, of, I, I guess the the omnibus question there is your, your a little bit of your process and how you go about budgeting and thinking about manpower and scale for these really really large projects. Well, I, believe it or not, on some of the uh, you know in some of the departments there's a bit of a template. So once you've done one or two, and hopefully you're lucky enough if you're if you're a production manager, hopefully you would have worked on other movies, and even if they're not quite that level of scale, maybe they're slightly less where you have a bit of a sense of what some of the manpower was to achieve, you know, a type of movie. So that when you're kind of moving up and you're production managing, you're not going to be blindsided by like, oh, really? I didn't realize that people have like four grips on the set, like you said, or man, there's a lot of rigging here. 
but it's funny. One of the things you have to be prepared for is just you have to like learn. You have you have to be ready to learn very quickly and sort of see. And uh, I've never been afraid to ask a lot of questions of of department heads, um, just to kind of even expand my own knowledge. And one of the important things also, if you're a production person, is you need to get get out from behind your desk, which can be really hard because the the bigger the movie, the the more uh, onerous the paperwork is. There's a lot of signing and, you know, there's a lot of drudgery work like that. But you need to be able to get out from behind your desk and get on the set, even if it's watching for a half an hour, and just seeing what people are doing and also getting out to those other sets and locations that are being prepared for the days ahead so you can see the progress. And it's really about repetition, looking, and just getting that experience of, of like, watching what people do. So what what are you like? So just for example here, let's 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 take a movie here. One, uh, let's take I don't know one of the more recent finished movies, Pacific Rim, just for yeah. example here. So when you get out on set on a movie of that size and scale, what are what are you looking for? What are you what are you actually practically doing on set uh, when you're when you're trying to? Well, when you're seeing, yeah. Yeah, one of the things you're doing is you're looking at like the the pace the show, like how quickly shots are being. Um, run through the camera, you know, how many takes are happening, are they, and how, you know, how many setups they're getting in a certain period of time. Um, and, and you're kind of weighing that against the complexity of what the, the sentence in the script really is. And, you know, on action movies, you're always realizing that everything takes more time than you would necessarily think. So you have to build that into your head. And then when you're getting onto sets and stuff, you have to really look at the set plans that the art department is putting together, try and envision in your head what the final look is going to be. And, and nowadays they do a lot of concept art. They do a lot of, um, you know, 3D renderings and stuff. So it's not that difficult to figure out what something's going to look like. And then when you go to these sets, you have to kind of judge in your mind, are they 10% there, 20% there, 50% there? And you start asking the the different art department people who are in charge of developing those sets, like, what's their opinion? Where do you, where do they think they are? And if they say we're 50% there, then you kind of measure it against what your physical eye sees, and you can either in your mind go, yeah, he's probably right, or she's probably right, or I, I think they're a little off here. And And if you think that they may be a little bit behind, that's when you need to ask a few more questions about, well, what's left? Well, what are you doing, and how does that work? Um and and you're kind of just trying to do that to every set. The one thing you have to also realize when you're on those big movies is, like, you can't really, you know, you can't necessarily touch base with every department every day. So one of the things you might work in tandem with your uh, production accountant with, who's very important in this whole process, because uh, they're also watching the monies just from uh, numbers. You know, they're not necessarily out on the field, they're, but they're seeing the numbers as they're happening is you kind of almost have to pick a department per week in some cases and go, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to audit this department. We're going to really look at it, turn over every stone, see kind of where they're at, and, and then move on to the next department maybe the next week. Or, you know, if it's a slower week, for instance, if you're on stage all week and, you know, you're not really worried as much about logistics, then, okay, well, maybe we can attack two, you know. And, and sometimes it's something as simple as just bringing departments in for meetings, you know, and talking about every set that's left and where they're at and have they 
bought the set dressing for it, for instance, or how are we doing with the hand props, that kind of thing. Do you feel that you can get detailed enough to actually get a handle on, say, you know, figuring out where you are cost-wise when you've got millions of dollars flying out the door literally every day? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's certainly getting better at it. I mean, look, uh, every time you do these movies, you like to think that you get a little bit better. And, you know, nobody's perfect the first time. Um, you know, departments that are always the trickiest are, like, physical effects because, look, it's not... Physical effects is not as simple as, like, okay, we're going to put two two-by-fours together and get something. There's a little bit more creativity and a little bit more experimentation involved in that. So it's not necessarily you can say, okay, well, in two days they're going to have figured it out. No, sometimes it can take longer. <laughs> so they just, just, you know, it's like science, right? You've right. got to figure it out. And so, you know, that's a department that's always one that, you know, I'm constantly learning about and talking to the coordinators about and finding out how they do things. And, and that's really what it comes down to. You know, you can do these things better the second time around when you've been on another movie because you remember, oh, well, we, like, blew up that building, for instance. And to do that, oh, I needed A, B, and C. So then when you get a budget, if you're lucky enough to be on the ground floor budgeting, you go, you can say, okay, well, I'm going to put in x y and z because that's what happened last time and it worked good you know or if it failed you go well what did did we do wrong oh i didn't have that person there tracking the money so we better make sure we budget that person which brings out an an interesting question because when you get these projects are they especially these studio movies are they coming to already with uh, a budget and they're like here uh, you know here's the budget dj go make the movie or are you actually being able It's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. I mean, obviously, anytime you're hired for something, there is a budget that's there. And sometimes you have to go in and and reconstruct it. That's sometimes one of the first, you know, that's usually like the first job you're doing in the first week or so that you're there. Um, Because you you may disagree with how they've done their budget. And, And different studios all work in different ways. Some studios, like literally they have a template and, and there you go. And, and sometimes you're, you're trying to recreate it because every production jurisdiction, Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, they, they all have a different way of working. That's just the way it, the way it is. So sometimes you have to kind of, uh, as I call it, Torontoize it. But then in other cases, if there's been a line producer, exec producer, co-producer type person on that project for a while developing it, which is usually the case on the bigger movies, they've already done a lot of that research. They've really been working. And so you kind of hope that the budget that's handed on your desk is not like out of line with uh, what the director is really wanting to achieve. So, um, so that that's actually an interesting kind of segue into what I would sort of consider the second big topic of this discussion, which is kind of your relationship with the people on set. I mean, who do you consider to be, uh, for lack of a better word, the person that you report into or your, you know, and I'm air quoting here, your boss? Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely. Look, as a production manager, it's pretty clear. You know, I I report to the exec producer, the co-producer, the line producer, you know, it's, you know, everybody gets a different title, (laughs) but it's basically that there's usually, there is a production manager who's, who's, whose main task is the big picture of the film. And that's really the line producer or the exec producer. And, And that person should be the person who's like right at the hip with the director, um, learning and listening to what they, what they want. And then, um, you know, 
putting the mandate forth to try and deliver that. And what they're expecting out of their production manager is the straight goods of how much things cost while at the same time not letting people uh, spend more than they really have to. And one of the big roles you have as a production manager is kind of like you're on the ground. So you need to ask these department heads, find out what they're doing. And if you kind of find out that they're, they're doing something that's costing a lot of money and you're not really sure that that's really what's been asked, you've got to get back to get that information up the chain of command so those questions can be asked of the director by the, by the executive producer to go, well, you know, we're spending all this time and money on this. Is that, is that really what your intention was? And sometimes the answer might be yes, and, but then other times the answer might be no. <laughs> and at the same time, you're still involved in the minutiae of, like, of finding out what they're doing because you're kind of like the first defense of going like, no, it's not going to take that many guys to do it. Let's talk this through. But then if it really, if you've talked it through and you've got a number then, and it's not, still not really working, then it's your responsibility to go to the, to step up to the next person and go, look, it's going to, you know, I don't know if you realize this, but it's going to cost this amount of money. Do you want to do it? You know, because, right. uh, you know, I mean, look, you're very, you're responsible for that bottom line very much, but you always have to be humble enough to realize that, you know, you're not the be all to end all. And at the end of the day, it's about delivering what kind of the director wants and what the studio wants for the amount of money they have. So you have to be really careful that you're not just saying no to stuff for no reason, because at the end of the day, you know, they have a budget for a reason and they want to make sure the most of it gets on the screen. Can you, uh, I, I don't know how, you know, your, uh, I don't know what stories you can share from the front lines that you, you'd feel comfortable sharing, but are there any stories you can share with us about interactions that you've had with uh, either studio or producers that kind of illustrate the point of that, that, that friction that can exist and, and how, you know, the, I guess, and the, and the resolution to that? In terms of like... Uh... In, in terms of like, you know, somebody wants one thing, uh, director wants one thing, producer wants another, you might, you know, be stuck in the middle. Or I, I, I'm just throwing out... Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Yeah. yeah, it's always tough to come up with those specific things, if you know what I mean, because they just sort of happen. But, I, you know, I can remember at one point there was going to be a, a sequence in one of my films, uh, you know, a car driving through a, uh, a house, basically, and it was going to smash up all this stuff. And a PO comes by with a piece of art that was, you know, really, really expensive. And so the knowledge was that it was just going to be destroyed. So it was like, okay, well, let's go talk to somebody because, you know, that seems kind of pointless. I mean, it may only be less than two seconds of screen time to really want to destroy a $2,000 piece of art, you know, um, you know, or it gets into costumes where I've seen people buy, you know, you might get a PO for, you know, a certain article of clothing that's like a lot of money and you're like, well, they're only wearing that like once or, or are they even wearing that? Maybe that, maybe that, uh, I thought that scene was cut out of the movie, you know, or, and sometimes as a BM, you, you might be a little bit more on the inner circle to know things that might not be happening. Like the director might be talking to the line producer, going, hey, I'm really thinking about cutting that scene or changing that scene. And it, when you're reading this paperwork, you have to have that in your head so that if you see something, you might be able to stop something. It's not the fault of the department head because things move so quickly where you could go, hey, wait a second, I just heard that this may not happen. Before you go and commit X number of dollars to that, let's let's have a chat to make sure that it is going to stay in the movie. So I, uh, just because I, I, I know our audience would be interested, in, and I'm interested too, what was it like working on a Guillermo del Toro movie? Uh, 
I mean, look, it was a, an amazing experience. I've done two of them with Guillermo now, and he's one of the most creative guys I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And he's also a very open director. He he listens to his department heads. I mean, he, he knows what he wants, and, you know, he's uncompromising in that way, but he, he is not... You know, he 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 he's not a dictator in in the, you know in the way that he just tells people what they want and walks away and doesn't listen to what they have to say. I mean, he he's all about trying to make the best film that he can make, and he always has big expectations. But you know, I've decided with directors and and creative people, production designers, and all that. Like, I'd rather work with people who have really big expectations because you know, you're more likely to have a, a better film that way. You know, the people who are just willing to settle, it might be easier <laughs> on production, but that doesn't mean that the movie is going to be any good. And at the end of the day, that's really, to me, what's most important because you're, you know, although you're not necessarily, as a production manager, the creative person, your name is still on the movie and you'd, you'd like to think that people go, wow, I saw that movie and it was really amazing. Oh, you worked on it? That's great. Rather than somebody going, yeah, I saw that movie. You worked on that? God, it's terrible. Because <laughs> like, you spend so many hours out of your day with these people that uh, you want to be able to say that, you know, also selfishly, the, the, that it was worth it, um, that you pulled a story that other people want to see. Uh, do, do you ever feel that... Uh... I'm trying to figure out how to how to phrase this. There's, it, it on the really really large movies. I mean, you're spending so much money so quickly. Do you ever feel like you don't need all that money to make the movie, or the movie could be made for you know in a in a better yeah. way? Like, are I you, mean, are, are look, you, I mean, it's that's really hard. I know exactly kind of what you're getting at. You know, I mean, certainly some. Movies. I mean, I kind of feel the ones I've worked on that we've we've always used the money very efficiently. Um, but it's like anything else. I've always said this: like any movie can be made for any amount of money. And the problem with filmmaking is that in some cases, the more money you have, the better it's going to look. It is one of those art forms that that's that that I'm not going to say it's always the case, but it is kind of the case. Um, I think anybody who's done a visual effects movie knows that if you have more money for visual effects, it means you have more time to put into the visual effects. Uh, so generally speaking, they're just going to end up looking better, probably. Um, but I, I think anybody, once you when you do these bigger movies, I mean, look, once they get released, I mean, one of the things that you often will see, which is always is always killer, is that stuff always gets cut out of movies <laughs> and it's hard not to remember how much you might've spent on a certain sequence or something. And then to find out that it's no longer in the movie. Um, unfortunately that's kind of part of the process though, because when you get into the editorial suite, I know the directors and the studios, I mean, they want to have options like it or not. Um, and, and so unfortunately sometimes that means that there is a ton of money that just goes wasted and that's and and the more money you have, the other thing too. Yet you, you have to always realize that you're sometimes you're you're paying a little bit for convenience or backup or the just in case. The smaller movies that I've done, for instance, like a, a thing like Weather Cover, you just can't really invest a lot of money in that, uh, which can be very uh, scary and stressful because you're like, well, if if something totally out of our control happens, what are we gonna do? you know, and, and you hope that it doesn't happen. And if you do in a bad situation, then you got to come up with a creative solution. And usually it, it works out, but on the bigger movies, you can 
plan for that stuff more. You can say, hey, look, we're going to build a set that is just going to sit in the stage for like, you know, weeks on end. And what we hope is that we never use it and waste all that money. But the reality is if it's there and we have a problem, we can go to that set. We've got this big machine, all these people on the payroll, they can go there, they can shoot it so we don't lose money. Sometimes it's about spending money in order to not lose money later on. So I guess in that way, some of it's, it's kind of like buying insurance right. <laughs> sometimes. Uh, do, do you ever find yourself dialoguing directly with the studio, or is that generally the the line producer, the producers? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The PMs will always deal with like the the production executives, and you know you you, you try very hard to to create a good working relationship with them because they're they're the ones who appreciate and know the hard work and that you're you have their back, and so you're. you're yeah, I mean, the production execs, I mean, I wouldn't have much to do with, like, the creative execs or people like that. That's more my boss and, and or a creative producer dealing with the, the the story. How's the story? How's the movie looking? You know, those kind of questions don't really come up. It's more like, how do you think you're doing in set dressing? Or, you know, is the are the builds happening on time? You know, do, do you what's find going that, on? Do you find that what the studio sometimes want or what the production executive want? Like, because you're, in, in a weird way, you're a little bit of a filter between, in that sense, the, the production executive or the studio level and the line producer and director on the floor. So do, do, do you ever find yourself hearing, you know, the, the left shoulder saying one thing and the right shoulder saying the other, and you're like, oh, well, shit, I, yeah, I don't know Well, yeah, I mean, it, it can be tough. I mean, you know, you have to defend the work you're doing, too, kind of like what you're saying. You know, and sometimes people, if they're sitting in a, you know, sitting behind a desk and they're not there on the ground floor or, like, on the front lines, they're, you know, it's kind of like armchair quarterbacking or whatever. But what you have to develop very quickly is is the people skills to be able to explain in a clear, concise manner as to why these decisions are happening and, and what you're doing. And also, they're also there to kind of help you too. I mean, sometimes you might be faced with certain costs and you're like, well, I don't have the power necessarily to say no or this is going on. So I, I'm going to take this up the chain of command and give it to them. And then if they say no, then it kind of will be in a different political realm of, you know, discussion or B, they may say yes. And then, um, you're kind of, you've done your job, which is to, to raise the flag. But if, if those people are comfortable with that cost expenditure, then, then you can just go back to doing, uh, the managing to make sure that you hit the number that you said it was, you know, but you don't have that worry of like, Oh, is this, or, or what we doing totally wrong? Are there any examples of this that you could give or anything that comes to mind? Yeah, really, to be honest. Um, it just sort of happens, like, you know, in the course of the thing. I mean, you know, on shows I've been where, you know, the big one is also, like, if you're, you know, if a certain sequence is running behind, I guess is about, you know, and you, you think everybody thinks that they need an, like an extra day that, that that's usually where, you know, certainly studio and production executives get involved because that's a big decision. And sometimes one of the, what you're usually trying to do is go, okay, we need an extra day on this, but we've talked to the director and we don't need an extra day on this sequence, for instance. And then there'll be a series of questions just to make sure that, you know, you've done your research and that indeed you're going to be able to save somewhere in order to, put it somewhere else and uh, you hope that once you've gone through that exercise and that discussion that they'll um, they'll say yes 
Do, and they normally do. I mean, they. I, I've I've always had very good very good um, experience with production executives because a lot of them have come from the jobs of line producing and production. So they, so they know what they, it's like. They're not um, they're not uh, ignorant to like the process of what's going on. Right, right. And and do do you find that I, I guess. In the sense that, you know, I mean, because we've been talking a lot about larger budgeted projects right now and kind of how you deal with a lot of those those larger budget issues. Do you find that these same issues and same concerns kind of come up on the smaller scale stuff? Oh, so yeah, when, when, totally. when you're doing like the sub sub five million dollar dollar projects, you know, what are the challenges that you that you then face? I mean, can you? Can yeah, you kind the of lower, move your mind the, back and look, forth? the lower budget ones, the hardest thing is that you have a lot of finite numbers and you just can't go over. So your margin for error is a lot less. And so you have to be very vigilant talking to people. And I, I find you really got to know the script really well so that you are versed that if something changes that you can immediately know, oh, well, that that means, you know, now that the sequence has changed, like, man, that's added another continuity day, for instance. Does that mean we need to buy another outfit, <laughs> you know, it can get to that level. And so you, you need to, you need to be very, um, unfortunately, in some cases, the smaller movies, you need to be a little more micromanaging. You need to be a little bit more involved in the day to day of, you know, what are they spending? That doesn't mean on the bigger movies, you don't care. It just means that you have to be quicker on the draw on the smaller movies because they also, you know, they shoot faster because they don't have as many days to shoot and the prep is less. So you just don't have as much time to mull things over. So you have to be ready to do all your research and get your costs in quickly. Um, on a little bit of an aspirational level, I mean, is, I, I assume obviously the, 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 the challenges that come with being a production manager or a UPM, especially on these movies are, you know, as exciting as ever. But for you, is this, is this, is this a creative playground for you that you're just going to kind of enjoy being in for the next little while? Or are you, have you ever thought about moving on to, you know, uh, producing some of your own stuff or, or, or changing what you do? Or is this just kind of like you, you love this and, and. Well, I, I can say I'm very happy with what I do. Um, I mean, one of the things I've tried to do is also like seek out and work, you know, it's nice when you've been, you know, I've been lucky enough that I've been able to work with a lot of the same people. Um, and, and I think the older you get in the business or the more, you know, shows you do, the more you realize that personal relationships mean so much. Because, um, as I say, like, if you're going to spend 14 to 15 hours a day with people, you know, five, six days a week, you, you, you kind of hope that there's some level of, you know, personal uh, like, um, and it's not just a job. I think going forward, I mean, in the next few years, I'll be, you know, looking towards trying to do more line producing than straight up production managing, because I think there does come a point where you want that extra challenge. You want to be a little bit more involved with the director and the hires up and worrying less and less about where the trucks are parked. Um, because although it's fascinating to deal with those logistics, it is, it, you know, it gets exhausting and, and, uh, you know, it can get boring after a while. Well, um, it's a tough job. I mean, it is a, there's yeah. no question, it is a very, very difficult job. Also, in, on some of the, obviously the smaller projects, the line producer and production manager will end up being the, the same the, job. The same yeah. job. It kind of combines yeah. as well. And I think, I think on the smaller, uh, you know, you probably get a little bit more 
creatively involved because usually those movies um, probably have less people to do the same jobs. So as a result, you, you know, the lower movies, yes, they usually, sometimes in some cases they have more producers like on the, on the crew list, if you know what I mean, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're actually actively involved in the project. Um, cause it usually takes in some cases, the smaller movies, more people to finance the picture and get them together. But oftentimes there's just like one producer and the director in some cases, um, making the movie. So I think in those cases, the, line producer can maybe exercise and have an opportunity for a little bit more creative input since, uh, you know, the money is tighter. So it's uh, in some cases they have to be the one to also offer up the suggestions of other ideas that can be afforded. So, uh, and I, I want to be respectful of your time today and we're just kind of coming here to the end of, uh, you know, our, our time with you. So I, I wanted to ask you what, what are, I guess one or two of the, biggest lessons that you've learned or you've learned from others uh, that you might want to share with us? Well, number one, you got to listen to people. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of people that sort of think that being a production manager is all about saying no or whatever. And that is an aspect of the job. Don't get me wrong. You have to, you, you, you can't let people, you know, ride over you, but you need to be a good listener. You got to listen to what you're what your crew is telling you. You need to listen to what your line producer is telling you. You got to listen to all everybody because sometimes you're going to be barraged with stuff on a daily basis and you got to keep your head clear enough to be able to make the right decision because that's ultimately what it's about. Um, and I think the other thing uh, that I've kind of learned is that you also have to develop a sense of once you've made a decision to not constantly think about it <laughs> over and over again. I mean, there's some decisions that you, you afforded a lot of time to really, uh, you know, do the costing, really watch it and do all that. But sometimes once the decision's made, you just got to go with it. And it's either, and you have to believe that that was the right decision because that's the decision that was made. Awesome. Oh yeah. And as it comes to the money and stuff, always have somebody double check. <laughs> always look at your numbers twice. Oh, and, and in that case, who, who is that person? If I no, that's ask. the production accountant. Make sure you have somebody who you really trust. You can just double check your spreadsheets and stuff. <laughs> always. Uh, fair, fair enough. Uh, hire a good production accountant. No. Um, well, listen, DJ, thanks again so much for your time. Uh, the DJ's next two movies coming out uh, or those movies that he was a production manager on are uh, Spotlight, which was just shot this year, along with Crimson Peak. Uh, they're coming out soon. And do you have another movie lined up after that? yet that you can share or not yet? Uh, well, I, I, I am going to go back to do the, the sequel of Pacific Rim 2, hoping to grab something just before, but uh, we'll see what happens. Oh, that's fantastic. When's, yep. uh, so Pacific Rim 2, it's uh, scheduled to come back to Toronto. When, when's that shooting? Uh, it, it'll start prepping in uh, June, July kind of thing. Oh, that's going to be awesome. Yep. That's going to yep. be awesome. Well, uh, I can't wait, for, can't wait for that one. Alrighty. Uh, all right, man. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Jesse. All right. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, I'm back for a small little outro. Hope you like that uh, conversation with DJ. Uh, I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, again, DJ, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on with us today. That was, uh, that was awesome. Uh, thank you for all that, that information and for sharing that with us. If you are listening to us at this point in the conversation, thanks for sticking in. And uh, if you haven't left us a review, which we're supposed to do at the beginning of the show, please do it now. We don't badge you with things to do like buying products from audible or legal zoom 
or I don't know, like man boxes of things that you can buy with grooming products and stuff like that. Although we could, I suppose, if we were fortunate enough, uh, but we don't. And so instead, we just ask you to drop down a review on iTunes. Why? Because it helps. Because it's the only thing that I know of that really helps in that search engine. And if we are, if nothing else, a search engine-oriented society. So please take a moment, uh, if you're enjoying this show, uh, to leave us a review. And by the way, I just want to say um, we've been getting some uh, some emails some uh, and some tweets uh, about uh, you know the... Your, your reactions to the show, questions, some really awesome responses, and I just want to say thank you uh, for taking the time to uh, you know to send us your comments. If you have questions, comments, things you want to ask us, we will get back to you. You can find us at coffee at crafttruck.com. You can find us uh, on Twitter at crafttruck, uh, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. We definitely want to uh, dive into more of what you want to hear, and uh, of course, we just, you know, just want to hear that you're getting out of the show what we're putting down. So uh, there you have it. Uh, thanks again for your time this week. We'll be back next week with uh, uh, your regularly scheduled programming. Until then, ciao.